You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into Fireside Chats. This is episode 15, brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. And today we have a tremendous guest for you. So this series, and it's been a while since we've done one of these, but they're typically for the offseason. This series was designed to be a place where we can interview some of the top minds in the industry, whether that be film experts, former players and scouts, and analytic gurus like the one I'm about to talk with. Warren Sharp is the man of the hour, and I highly recommend grabbing his 2020 football preview from sharpfootballanalysis.com. Of course, follow him on Twitter at sharpfootball. And we're going to be talking about the guide. We'll chat more about some analytical theories. We'll dig into the chapter dedicated to the Eagles and more. So let's go ahead and kick it to that conversation right now. Warren, welcome to BGN. It's great to finally have you on. I appreciate you joining us. How you doing, brother? I am doing as good as can be expected. You know, it's a different time for everybody, but uh, the good news is I think the tide is turning a little bit. I don't know if you're feeling the same way, Michael, but the tide seems to be turning. Guys are coming together with uh, the league and the PA and making some agreements on some important things, and I'm feeling a lot more optimistic about football starting on time than I was, you know, back on Sunday when all the players were tweeting out, some of their, uh, you know, propaganda type messages. And it feels like we're in a good place right now, at least. Yeah, I think the other day I tweeted out, I said, this is like when they started to make some actual headway to where the the league made some concessions on the safety and health uh, side of things, which probably sets up, you know, the NFLPA giving some concessions on the financials. Finally said to myself, the way this is moving so fast, I, I finally feel confident that they're actually going to be, or at least a try at a season, right? I agree. I think the, the money here is so big that it's inevitable that we're going to get the season starting. Um, it's in- inevitable that we're going to get the guys in camps. And it's a good thing that some of these other leagues are getting underway, too. You see the NBA bubble seems to be working. You see baseball getting ready to get started today. So you're, you're getting a lot of uh, other momentum in other sports leagues inside of the United States going forward. That's a big deal to kind of, I think the one thing, just thinking big picture here, the one thing that would get things off the rails is if public perception was just so overwhelmingly negative here, like, oh my God, I can't believe the NFL is doing this. This is absolutely ridiculous because then the public, we've seen the way that they can kind of turn tides elsewhere, that they could kind of just influence the start here. But I think as a professional organization, a professional league with professional players getting paid the way that they are. These aren't college kids. These is a very different situation. I think they're going to get started. So I'm, I knew that all along that it was likely, I didn't like some of the question marks over the last couple of weeks. And it's like, what were these guys doing for months? What have they been thinking about? But I do believe that we are at a point right now where we're on the cusp of this thing, really getting started and actually happening as planned. And I, 
just I'm super excited because this was my biggest fear back when everything started happening. Of course, once I got beyond the health and safety of my family and, and just kind of the direction of our country, which is a little bit scary, it was you know, will we actually get football this fall? Because it's what you do for a living. It's what I do for a living. And I really wanted to make sure that we were going to be as responsible as possible mm. to make sure that it occurred. Um, and, and it looks like we're actually going to get it. Yeah, positive signs. And that means we get to talk about things and actually be excited about them as we kind of look towards what the season is going to be. And Warren, I wanted to start off, you know, with you telling us about this must have purchase as we ramp up towards the 2020 NFL season. I get it every year. So you don't have to convince me, obviously, but tell the gentle listener about your 2020 football preview, man. Plug away. Well, look, I put about three and a half months of work into this thing. Um, I really do pour my heart and soul into trying to uncover things that a lot of people haven't heard maybe about a lot of the teams, about the coaches, about their strategies and their philosophies. So this 2020 football preview, you can get it up at sharpfootballanalysis.com. It's 360 pages of analysis and graphics and visualized data that are going to get you prepared for the 2020 season, which thankfully looks like it's going to happen as quickly and as intelligently as I believe any book would be able to do. It's going to give you the most information, the most insight um, in an easy to digest manner. It breaks down all 32 teams and different team chapters. This book is a lot longer than ones I've done in the past. In the past, I was always hung up, Michael, just to let you know, with like this 250 page limit, because if I did a 250 page book, I could sell it on Amazon and they would they set the list price and so they determine yeah. how much this book has to be they said okay 250 pages full color you can sell this book for 30 dollars. so boom i sold it for like 31 dollars. i actually made about like 28 cents per copy on the book <laughs> and and you know that's why jeff bezos is so rich um not the only reason one of like thousands yeah. of reasons um and so they were making a lot of money on it. I was making very little, but we could get it up there. But I said this year, you know, screw me trying to like cut out interesting stuff and not put in heat maps that I have. Like I want to be able to share this information with people. So I ended up writing over a hundred more pages and we have to sell the book. Actually, it's a cheaper price than you were paying for it last year. Uh, but we're now selling it in PDF only format up at sharpfootballanalysis.com. And I really think regardless of what team you like, although, you know, obviously where this is the Eagles podcast and everybody's going to want to know about the Eagles, there's a lot of great information in here that you may not have heard of before. And uh, there's it's like that for all 31 other teams. I can't imagine going on Shark Tank and Mr. Perfect asks you what your profit margins are and you tell him 28 cents a copy. But I'm, I'm glad you're able to keep it uh, so robust the way that it is now because there's so much information in it. And one of the things I wanted to address was one of the, the early chapters, the opening articles of the guide named uh, Everyone Uses Numbers. It's it's time to use better ones. Dan Pizzuta explains what expected points added means, for example. So like with EPA, like these different terms that we might be saying through throughout this show that the casual football fan might not understand right away. Sticking with EPA, why is that particular stat so valuable and really so under, underappreciated as as kind of like a what should be a mainstream mainstream stat? Yeah, I, I think one of the things we wanted to do with this upfront article is just give like a primer as to what mm. some of the more advanced statistics are and what they mean because more and more teams are starting to use them and my general philosophy when I'm assisting teams and helping consult with teams um, and then trying to like relay not that information obviously but like just general football analysis with the public 
the public really needs to change the mindset of how they're looking at the sport, not some of the smarter guys like you and other people on Twitter who I would consider like very educated about subject matters, but a lot of the mainstream audience and watch the football, watch football games. Like you really need to put yourself in the position of like, well, why, why is the team doing this? What are they trying to do? What are they looking at to come up with some of their decisions? And more teams are shifting towards uh, incorporating EPA or expected points added. And essentially what that basically, means just in a nutshell is every yard marker on the field every single yard line there's an expected point that you're going to gain from uh, we got the ball on this yard marker and there's this much time left in the game and it's this down and this this distance there's a formula that's going to say well on average this is how many points you would score on your next play right and then you can look at where they move the ball to and the next down and distance so one play you're at first and 10 on your own 30 the next play you, you on that next play you gained you know 25 yards and you're now at first and 10 on you know the opposing 45 so you've moved 25 yards closer to the end zone now your epa on that next first and 10 at the opposing 45 is sorry your expected points at that yard marker is y so you were at x now you're at y the difference between those two expected points is the expected points you have added to the mix. And that's what EPA measures. It tracks how efficient this play was based upon how much better down and distance situation it puts you in, how much closer to the end zone it puts you in, and how much time is left based upon the score in the game. So uh, it's a complicated thing, but really the goal is have positive EPA on a play. Don't have negative EPA on the play because there is negative EPA if you don't gain yards. Or, you know, so that's one of the things that I think fans need to get a little bit more comfortable with is understanding is normally if you're looking at yards per carry, these different situations, most metrics are positive in, in nature. But with EPA, there's definitely the, the ability to have a lot of negative EPA plays and average negative EPA. What are your some of, some of your go-to metrics for measuring quarterback play? Because I think quarterback rating is something we scoff about, uh, you know, it, it, the Kiston Solak show. Solak always gives me crap for it, but sometimes that's the only metric for a certain thing. What what metrics do you like for measuring quarterback play against each other? Well, I think the, the, the foundation to that question is the, the, the way that you phrased the word, which is metrics, because I believe across all things, looking at just EPA is bad. Looking at just mm-hmm success rate is bad. Looking at just passer rating is bad. I believe in looking at a context of multiple metrics because EPA can tell you one thing, um, you know, you happen to throw a touch, you have 10 plays in this small sample that you want to measure and you happen to get a couple touchdowns. So your EPA is going to balloon up really high because of the touchdowns, but maybe the touchdown wasn't even because of that play type. Maybe it was a tip ball that a guy got, or maybe you have negative EPA because of a tip ball interception or something bad happened. Like, but that's, you shouldn't stop calling these plays because your EPA was negative. In fact, like five of the six plays were great, but you know, the one of them, it's so high leverage. Exactly. So you got to look at, whereas, if you look at success rate, for example, if you have five good plays and one bad one, your success rate is going to be really strong. It's going to be a really high percentage because that's a binomial. And so you're going to have like an 83% success rate on those plays, but your EPA could be negative. Um, so th- this is the reason why for any position when I'm evaluating, I'm generally looking at average yards per play, EPA, and success rate, a combination of all three of those. Now, for quarterbacks, in addition, there are other things that I'm going to be looking at. For example, I want to look at you know what what their explosive uh, play rate is. You know how how efficient they are on those passes. I want to look at what their average air yards were. Um, we cover a number of these 
metrics that I think are, are pretty good, but unfortunately some of them, you can't get them in as deep of context with regard to some of the player tracking stats, um, such as like average yards to sticks or your aggressiveness or your expected completion rate. But all of those are the advanced metrics that I like looking at as well, in addition to just the standard yards per attempt, success rate and EPA per attempt. Yeah, and I definitely agree. You can't just boil it down to one number. With that general stuff out of the way, how tough was it? Was it to try and and nail down what went wrong or even right for the Eagles and and then make suggestions on what the Eagles could do differently when when by the end of the year they were missing so many pieces. So like when you write like your regular chapter, yeah, you can say, okay, this year it should look like this because it looked like this last year. With the Eagles, how many real concrete takeaways can you have about last season and then build suggestions off of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenge um, because of primarily we know defense is reactionary. We know some of the areas that they struggled in, but a lot of what your defense is going to do is based upon you know, how good a quarterbacks you faced. And we know that they faced the ninth easiest schedule of opposing passing offenses last year. So that is going to help make the defense look a little bit better than probably it will this season when they're going to face the 11th toughest schedule of opposing pass offenses and the sixth toughest schedule of overall offenses. Uh, but when you're looking at the Eagles offense, which is generally where I'm going to start with all of my analysis, not only does it factor for this book, you know, some fantasy people are looking at this book, but just from a real life football example, offense dictates wins and losses much more than your defense will, um, and especially your passing offense. So you're going to generally start there. And you had a, a, a fortunate situation where you had one of the most injured wide receiver rooms in the NFL last season. Um, you had multiple games where you couldn't even play 11 personnel at various points in the games because you didn't have three wide receivers that could go on the field at that point in time. So um, when you have like such injuries to that extent, it is difficult to evaluate things. But across the board, you're trying to look for positives. You're trying to look for, you know, what are the takeaways that I can make for, you know, Carson Wentz? that might translate to the 2020 season. Like, was there anything that he was actually doing really well with this motley crew of receivers where you don't have your deep threat because he goes out early in the season and you don't have uh, three healthy wide receivers that you can play 11 with. We know that you guys like to use a lot of 12 personnel with your two tight ends anyways, but you still need healthy players out there. You can't play the entire game in 12 personnel. Um, ideally you, don't want to have to play that you want to be as dynamic as you want to be from a play calling perspective so it made it a challenge but there were enough good takeaways from Carson Wentz um, where I I don't know how you view the NFL landscape Michael because you are Philly based and you talk to a lot of Philly people but I know you have your tentacles out there and your feelers but I generally seem to think that Carson Wentz gets underrated on a national landscape And I think that there were several things from last season, even with this Motley crew, that really reinforced my position that this guy is a much better quarterback than a lot of people think he is. Yeah, I do think he gets disrespected a bit outside of uh, Philadelphia. And maybe as his career moves on, that'll change, you know, playoffs and and things of that nature and staying healthy like he did for the most part last season until that one playoff game. But that really doesn't, you know, factor into that. But something that that we interacted on Twitter about, and we we talk about this all the time on the Kiss and Solak show during the season, in the offseason as well. But we had this interaction and we were talking about Letting the Bronco buck, this is what they call it in Philadelphia, getting Wentz on the move 
where he seems really comfortable. And you talked about what one of the positive takeaways from Wentz's season in your guide, you kind of pointed out exactly what worked for him and what they should do more of, right? Absolutely. And and that's playing out of structure. When you've got young wide receivers or inexperienced guys and you're rotating all these guys in, you might think that um, those are dangerous plays. You don't have the chemistry built up with your guys. Uh, they don't know exactly where you're expecting them to go. And these are things that come with experience working with these with these wide receivers. But Carson Wentz last season, despite the injuries, despite one of the most banged up wide receiver crews of any quarterback that has to deal with in the NFL, um, Carson Wentz was absolutely incredible when playing out of structure. Uh, he was the number one quarterback in the NFL when he was on the move from an EPA perspective. He was the number one quarterback in the NFL when he was passing. And he wasn't just like close to average. He was incredible. So his EPA per attempt um, when he was moving, okay, moving in the pocket on the run, his EPA was 0.32. The NFL average is 0.01. His success rate was 55%. The average was only 42%. So night and day, well above average, the best in the NFL. And then when he was shuffling, kind of just like shuffling around in the pocket, his EPA was 0.31. The NFL average was negative 0.01. His success rate was 55%. The NFL average was 41%. So again, much bigger, much better uh, ceiling, much better results than what the NFL average was and number one in the NFL. So again, he did not allow the fact that he didn't have enough chemistry with these guys to impede his ability to create out of structure with them. And that just shows that you've got a quarterback who is tough, who understands leverage, understands situations and understands where the receiver is most likely to go. Like he's intuitively processing this where he doesn't have as much rapport built up with this guy, but he's able to figure out where this guy's probably going to go based on the defense and the play that was called. Um, So I I really think that you need to continue to leverage that to your best ability. You want to design things that are going to work in structure, but when that structure breaks down, this is one of the biggest areas where quarterbacks can provide um, an edge where the difference makers really are. You're talking about like Patrick Mahomes, you're talking about like guys like Russell Wilson, providing this difference where a general quarterback, okay, you need him to be proficient when he's inside the pocket. Fine. But that's not always going to be the case. So how do you create outside of that? Um, And, you know, how do you run the football? How do you provide these little extra edges where defense is playing good defense on third down and options are covered, but you can run and get a first down? Like these are things that move the change. These are things that make differences in games from having to punt the ball versus picking up a new set of downs and being able to create out of structure is definitely something he is. He's the best in the NFL, at least for last season with a bad group of wide receivers. I'm really excited to see what he can continue to do and build upon that with a a healthier group of wide receivers, a blend of more speed and and youth into that mix. Yeah, being able to create on your own is definitely what separates good quarterbacks from great quarterbacks. And of course, once trying to get to that great level of play that he has achieved before and continuing on that line of how the Eagles can help Wentz by playing to his strengths. You actually found some really interesting notes in terms of the disparity between his zero to one step drops, right? So he gets the snap and it's just one stop or one step or no step. You know, a lot of those RPO concepts are like that. Uh, Also his three step drops and his five step drops. There's a big difference in there and the three step drops look to be the problem. What did you find there? Yeah, I found when you took him talking about again, 
the things that I'm looking at, which are the success rates, the EPAs, um, and, and the yards per attempt, that Carson Wentz was really efficient getting the ball out with these zero to one step drops. He had a 59% success rate, positive EPA, um, and he was also really good with even the five-step drops, which have a you know a larger target depth. They're going to be throwing the ball, generally speaking, further down the field on these five-step drops. His EPA was 0.25 on those five-step drops. So and, and seven-step drops again, very good as well. But it was these three-step drops that were causing problems for him. His three-step drops. He averaged only seven yards per attempt and a 48% success rate. Now, he did have positive EPA on those as well, 0.1, but he was far more successful and efficient and delivered higher EPA when he was taking these bigger drops or just getting the ball out really quickly from his hand. So I think it's something that um, has, has happened the last couple of years, and they could definitely look to improve what types of play this is where you can you know i i break break down things into like so many different buckets and look at different contexts to figure out where teams can improve things and so if i'm the eagles i'm looking at his three-step drops what are we calling what plays are we calling that require these three-step drops and how can we try to make those more efficient for example Who's he targeting on these plays and when are we calling these plays and are they in obvious passing situations or are they in situations where the defense could be in a conflict? Uh, The problem was, you know, the number one, if you're, if you're not that great on three-step drops, but you're calling three-step drops like third or fourth most frequent, then it's not going to be as big of a factor. But of all of his dropbacks, 223 were three-step drops. Those were, that was the highest of any of his dropbacks. His next highest was, zero to one step drops, which is only 186 attempts. And then five step drops was next at 76. So the vast majority of attempts were these three step drops. So we either want to figure out how we can improve our efficiency on these plays that we're calling on three step drops, or we want to call them a little bit less frequently and bump up maybe more zero to one step drops and preferably a few more five step drops, which of course require better protection. And we got questions with Brandon Brooks not being there, but you know, he's much more efficient getting these five-step drops out there. So how can we make sure that we get more of those into the game? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Overall, looking at the passing offense for the Eagles, what's the litmus test on the schedule? Like, when are the real challenges coming up in terms of the Eagles passing offense, going up perhaps a stout passing defense or even a run of stout passing defenses this year in terms of when you look at the strength of defense they're facing, which I know you dive into in the guide. Yeah, I do. And overall, they do face a little bit more difficult challenge. But the good the good news is they still have one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. They have the 26th most difficult schedule of past defenses in the league. So last year they played the second easiest schedule in the league. This year it's a little bit more difficult, but still in the bottom 10 in terms of easy ease of schedule of opposing past defenses. The real challenge is going to be after your back-to-back home games, weeks two and three against the Rams and the Bengals, you go on a run of three top five pass defenses from the 2019 season. And two of those games come on the road. You're playing 
at San Francisco, you're playing at Pittsburgh, and then you have to host the Baltimore Ravens. After that point in time, things get much easier. I mean, the most next most difficult run that you have is a, a three-game stretch, weeks 12 through 14, where you have to play the Seahawks, the Packers, and the Saints. Well, two of those three games are at home, and you already beat the Packers in uh, in a big road game that you played last season. You you play them on the road this year. So you haven't had a lot of luck against the Seahawks, but at least you get them at home, and you have to beat the Saints at home. Uh, but those are the next three most difficult. But those teams all rank out, you know, 10th or worse in pass defense to begin with. Uh, but this run of three straight games early on in the season against top five pass defenses from last year is going to be brutal. And what makes it even more difficult, Michael, is the fact that you're playing the 49ers on Sunday night in San Francisco. East Coast teams going to the West Coast. Everybody used to talk about West Coast teams coming to the East for one o'clock games. But it's actually far more difficult. The numbers have proven that for an East Coast team to go to the West Coast due to the circadian rhythm of people's bodies and the fact that your body is your body clock, your internal body clock is programmed for the East Coast time and you're taking on a team in the West Coast so that when you get to like the second half of that game and it's 10 o'clock, 1030 East Coast time, that's what your body feels it is. But for the other guys, that game clock on their body, they think it's 7 o'clock or 7.30. And so they're a lot more alert and awake at that point in time. Their bodies generally have a lot more energy at that point in time. So that's the science behind the circadian rhythm. But the point is, very difficult going east to west, playing primetime out on the west coast. That's really fascinating that it's that it's actually the reverse. You, you have a, a whole segment in here, just sticking with the offense. Uh, it's dedicated to Miles Sanders, and it asks the question, if he's ready to be a true running back one in, in fantasy terms, basically, but also just in general, you know, is he ready to be a lead back for the Eagles that can, you know, tote the ball a bunch, which they really haven't done under, you know, Doug Peterson. What conclusion did you come to with that? I think that he is primarily because he is going to be able to provide this weapon in the passing game. And when you have a guy who can provide an upside in the passing game and a plus EV mismatch, um, at receiver and the Eagles know how to dial up passes to running backs as well. They know how to get guys in routes down the field as running backs. That's going to raise his ability to stay out on the field, which is massive. I know the Eagles really haven't, they've, they've used running backs in various different roles over the last several years with when Doug Peterson has been there. But I think that you've got a guy now who you can rely upon a lot more and being able to keep him out on the field is one of the biggest edges in terms of unpredictability. The, the ways that I say the defenses can gain an upper hand over the offense, number one, you have just superior talent across the board. You know, you're, 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 the opposing quarterback is weak and you just have better talent. Their O-line can be had by your D-line. Like that's, a way, that's one way, just talent alone, mismatches, that you can gain an edge over an offense. The only other way that a defense, based upon the rules as they're currently constructed, that a defense can gain an edge over the offense because the rules are so slated to his offenses is by predictability. But if you keep a guy like Miles Sanders on the field more frequently and the defense doesn't know, is this going to be run or pass? They have the same back there. They're not switching out. They're not putting on their passing down back. Like, and you can keep him out on the field. That is a big edge for your offense to create a, uh, a mystique of being unpredictable. And the defense doesn't know exactly what's coming. So like we saw that excellent pass that he caught from that, 
frozen rope when Carson Wentz threw it down the right sideline against the Washington Redskins uh, or Washington football team, I guess we need to say now, <laughs> you know, down at the corner of the end zone, like just right in the back part of the end zone. And that was a difficult pass to catch. Hard to see the trajectory of that ball, and it hit him right in the hands, and he was had soft enough hands. You could see it on the slow-mo, went back and caught it. He has good hands, and I really like his upside uh, producing behind this offensive line. Um, they do face a difficult schedule of run defense, that same difficult schedule last year, and I think the volume is going to be there for him, uh, whereas other running backs in years past, there's been a lot more of a by-committee approach. Here, I think he's going to have that volume. I definitely think he's capable of being RB1 for some fantasy teams for sure. So for the last question before we get out of here, I want to I want to pit you against your own system of, of forecasting here. Last year you had a forecast uh 2019 wins for the Eagles of 10. They ended up winning 9. Obviously there's a bunch of context that goes into that. This year you have their forecast wins at 9.5. If you were a betting man and I know you are, are you taking the over or the under? Yeah, I'm I'm probably leaning a little bit towards the over here. And the reason is because I like a couple of additions that they've made on both sides of the ball. I think it's underrated. Javon Hargrave coming in, pairing him with Fletcher Cox on the defensive line. The secondary is going to be improved. I think the slot cornerback that you got in Nikel Roby Coleman is big. So we're talking a little bit defensive side of the football here, but I think those elements could definitely help improve the defense's productivity. And what we need is just some better health on the offensive side of the football. Uh, Carson Wentz, you know, yes, Brandon Brooks's loss is big, but you've got the ability for him to create out of pocket, as we talked about before, uh, to, to be able to use a lot of creativity out of structure to still be solid. So even if there's a pass rush, you know, we can't have the, seems like sometimes like the boneheaded mistake here and there, like the, the big crucial play that turns a game. He, he needs to get a little bit better from that perspective, but overall his ceiling is very high as a quarterback and these receiving weapons. And finally, what we're hoping for finally, like we want a speed threat. We need a speed threat for Carson Wentz to be able to utilize. He really hasn't had that uh, at least a high pedigree speed threat. And I think we've got options and what they've done a good job of is finding, you know, a backup if the first option doesn't work. And in years past, we've got like option one. And if he goes down, then, well, I guess we won't really have that element to our offense right now. But now we've got a couple of backup options there as well. And overall, you're still playing uh, a defensive schedule that's definitely manageable. So your offense should be productive. And if the team's going to go as far as the offense can go, I think they're in a good position to, to really have a good season and probably exceed that win total. Now, that being said, you know, the, I'm projecting them to finish number two in the division. I think the Dallas Cowboys are a very strong team this year as well. So you got a strong Dallas team, but you've got a good, very good and strong Eagles team as well. I think both of these teams are going to make the 2020 playoffs. You got extra team in there. That probably is going to help this division more so than most in the NFC, uh, because like I think having that second team make the playoffs from the NFC East is probably near certainty. Yeah, and the seating might just come down to the head-to-heads and, and tiebreakers and whatnot. Warren, I, I thank you for joining me so much. Uh, one last time, man, plug your social media, your site, your book. Go crazy, man. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Sharp Football. And more than anything, I, I think you guys are going to love this book. You can get a sneak peek of the Steelers chapter up on the website at sharpfootballanalysis.com. But now that it looks like we're going to have the season, you better be prepared for it. And uh, whether that means from fantasy football or betting or just you love football in general, you can't wait to get started uh, thinking about it. I highly suggest going to the website and buying the 2020 football preview. Thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Michael. 